From Psalm 98, hear these words. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. May God add his blessing to his word. Well, on Thursday, I was supposed to meet a, a ministry colleague at the uh, Tiedemann Road uh, Paneras uh, uh, that morning. However, I was heading in, my eye kind of made eye connection with a young lady who was coming in as well in the same direction. And, and she said to me, sir, would you be able to buy me a bagel for breakfast. So we struck up a conversation. It turned out she was homeless. And while she did have a cell phone, it had no service. So she was using Paneras to kind of charge the phone and, and then also get on their Wi-Fi to make some connections. Well, I stood in line there waiting for my friend and I bought her breakfast and learned a little bit about her along the way. The man, in fact, I was supposed to, uh, to meet never showed up, so, so it turned out we had a little more time to converse and maybe, maybe that was a God thing. It turned out her name was Heaven. I thought that was interesting. You know, one of the things about Malawi that I found so fascinating were the names. The, the, the names given to people were precious and blessings. And here I was meeting a heaven. I'd never met a person named heaven. But, but interestingly enough, as I got to know her, I found that maybe it fit in because here she was. And it struck me how extremely delightful and engaging she was. I was struck by the fact that her circumstances didn't seem to touch her inside. She was living in a tent in the area, and our short conversation eventually moved to spiritual things. She was a Christian. She said she didn't have much, but she had the Lord, and he was enough. Now, I can say those kinds of things from this pulpit and proclaim all kinds of platitudes, and I hope that I believe them. But to see that kind of tenacious faith in the midst of, of, of someone I was literally talking to firsthand, it challenged me. It, it changed me. It, it made me think she had joy. In spite of all her circumstances, I want you to know that the Bible really doesn't talk much about happiness. There, there aren't a lot of phrases that refer to happy or being happy in the scripture. It, it, it often talks more about joy. The word happy or happiness is used uh, 27 times in the New International Version, but, but the word joy or rejoice is used some 320 times. And so the emphasis in scripture is often more about joy. And I think there's a difference between being happy and joyful. Happiness, it turns out, I think has to do with our, what happens 
to us. Happiness has to do with our circumstances. And when our circumstances change, sometimes our sense of whether we're happy or not can change too. It's based on our situation. But joy, joy is something different. It's it's an inner sense of well-being and contentedness and gratefulness even when things aren't going all that well. That's why the Bible can command us when it says, be joyful always, rejoice always. How is that possible? Well, the reason is, is you may not always be happy, but you can always be joyful. A settled sense of transcendent appreciation for what God has done for you even in the midst of trouble. Jesus himself said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be made full. Paul makes this amazing statement in 2 Corinthians 7, 4. I am overflowing with joy in all my affliction. Now, usually we don't put those things together. How can you overflow with joy in affliction. That's because there's something deeper. Paul knew that. Jesus offers that. We need to talk about it this morning. You know, it's all been almost 300 years since Isaac Watts wrote the the song, Joy to the World. Interestingly, Watts was tired of the music of his day. He thought it antiquated, worn out, So he began to write new songs for the church with a more personal message and a more upbeat sound. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but you know, worship wars have been going on for a long, long time. But the reality is, is that every generation needs a a new song to sing, a new way to express its God's glory. As a result of this, however, some considered him to be a rebel. And in churches, his music was often thought to be inappropriate. As a result, some uh, uh, didn't tune or tuned him out completely. And, you know, and again, I, I've been a part of this. I hear people sometimes complain about our songs or our, our uh, that, especially those that repeat the lyrics. I always heard about the, the 7 11 songs. You know, you sing seven words 11 times and you just kind of go through and, you know, that kind of thing. You should know that Isaac Watts heard the same complaints 300 years ago when he wrote, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Too repetitious. The the music too irreverent for the 18th century. But his work stood the test of time. We are, of course, indebted to Watts for Joy to the World, probably the number, at least according to hymnals, the number one song in, uh, uh, even in America today when it comes to Christmas songs. He also wrote such hymns as, We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. And he wrote, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And probably one of my favorites, When I survey the wondrous cross. So we owe a lot to Waltz. He did good. But it turns out that the man who wrote Joy to the World knew a little bit about disappointment and sorrow too. 
Watts Music so inspired a woman named Elizabeth Singer that she wrote to him and informed him that she was his biggest fan. I didn't know they had, you know, uh, they have Swifties today, they have Wattsies back then, I guess, or something like that. But the two began to correspond and they fell in love with each other through the mail, having never seen each other. Of course, that was the 18th century, so, you know, that was the eHarmony internet kind of a deal, I suppose, of its time. Well, she proposed, she must have been a rather forward kind of gal, she proposed marriage in one of her letters, even though, again, they had never met each other. And when Watts accepted, Elizabeth Singer anxiously raced to his side. And then she saw him. He was only five feet tall. She said, wait a minute, I don't think this is going to work out. She gets back on the train, turns around, and she's out of town. Interestingly, I, I, I went to Michigan a couple of weeks ago to perform the funeral. I shared a little bit about that. As some of you know, there is a small congregation that tunes into our messages here at Friends and I, in my mind, figured that they were watching the video week after week, but it turns out they only listen to the audio of my sermons. And so on two occasions while I was there, someone came up to me and said, you're not at all what I thought you'd look like. <laughs> and, and the way he did it uh, indicated they were a little bit disappointed guess I got a face for radio or something like that as they say you know oh well Elizabeth Singer she wrote this he was only five feet tall with a shallow face and a hooked, hooked nose prominent cheekbones small eyes and a death-like color she wouldn't have any of it she couldn't get past his physical appearance and so heartbroken Isaac Watts himself poured him poured himself into his writing never again seeking the companionship of a woman I, I want you to know that circumstances whatever they may be and maybe some of you feel rather lonely today circumstances have little to do with joy but what's also fascinating to me about this hymn this carol that we call carol about joy to the world is that we even consider it a, a Christmas carol. You, you realize it only has really one veiled reference to the birth of Jesus. The Lord is come, let earth receive her king. That, that's as close as you get to anything regarding the Christmas story. And even that, I think, could be considered about the second advent. This is the advent season when we celebrate that Christ is coming again. But this hymn was, in fact, inspired by what we just read, Psalm 98. It reads again, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst forth into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with harp and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. The, the theme of joy is prevalent within this psalm. The next, verse, uh, the next two verses read, let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. You remember Jesus saying, man, if my followers don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. 
The psalm has that notion. It says, let nature sing. Rivers and mountains will praise him. That's why we see these phrases in this carol that proclaim, let heaven and nature sing. Fields, floods, rocks, hills, plains, repeat the sounding joy. So this is a a song that reflects that idea. But one of the things that I love about this song then is this. It, It teaches us truth about what still brings joy to our lives today. And I'd just like to share that with you. These are simple, but I think important. In the first stanza, we learn that there is joy when the king is received. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. That reminds me, you know, not everyone is joy-filled when they learn of Jesus' birth. For instance, you'll remember that the King Herod was not joy-filled when he heard that Jesus had been born. He first learned about the birth of Christ, about Jesus from the, the uh, visitors, the wise men who came from the east, a group of these foreign astronomers who said to him, we, 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 we come to worship the newborn king. Where is he? They asked him, where is the one born king of the Jews? We have seen his star and have come to worship him. Now, if you know your history, you know that Herod was already a troubled man, and this did not help. He was so paranoid that historians tell us by this time he had already murdered three of his own sons because he thought they might be a threat to his throne. Imagine that. Of course, this news made him upset as well, and he was not going to take a chance that his own throne again might be threatened, and so he said, when you find him, let me know so I can come and worship him too. When, of course, he was uh, not interested in worship, but interested only in murdering the baby. We find out later that, in fact, he would kill every baby in the vicinity of Bethlehem two years or younger because of his lust for power. You know, there are still those today who refuse to receive Jesus as king. They reject him because like Herod, it seems to me, they want to be king. I want to be in control If Jesus is king, that means I might have to change my lifestyle. I I might have to change the way I relate to that person of the opposite sex. I might have to change the way I deal with my finances. I might have to change the way I react to my neighbors. When, When Jesus is king, I understand things change. And I'd like to be king, thank you. I believe that churches are going to be filled this holiday season with people who have never received Jesus as king. That's why I kind of like this second stanza so much because it continues on with this theme. There is joy not only when we receive Jesus as king, but when we let him reign as king. 
Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sound of joy. So in contrast to Herod, you know, we have in that story, the, the story of the wise men. The Bible says this, that when they saw the star, I love this phrase, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of joys packed in together. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced, Matthew says. They were joy-filled because they saw that star. They came to understand what it represented. I, I, I remember those days when uh, we had little ones in our house and how excited they would get that Christmas was coming and the night on Christmas Eve, they'd go to bed, but they were not sleeping and they'd be up all night. And you, you, you remember those. You probably remember it as a kid yourself, how excited you were for Christmas to come. And they'd get up at 5.30 insisting it's time to go downstairs. But has it ever occurred to you, Jesus comes here every week. We ought to have, when we come into this place, into this worship time, that same sense of excitement and exhilaration. Jesus is coming. For the, for the wise men, there was no price that was too high to pay. There was no distance that was too far to travel. They wanted to be with the king, wherever he might be. And I tell you this, when we gather together right here, the king has promised to be here. That ought to stir something in us. That ought to be something to rejoice over and to sing over. Sometimes, folks, I look around and we're not singing. I don't want you to sing. I want you to worship. What would that be like when we realize he's here and he's worthy and we've let him have first priority in our life? Matthew 2 says they came into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him and opened their treasures. They presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We know this story. We've, we've been through it a hundred times. They brought treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh, but I think we miss everything if we don't consider how these wise men worshipped, worshipped him. Listen, he had no trappings of royalty. They expected him to be born in a palace. He wasn't. Sometimes we come into this place. Well, if he wants to be worshipped, we expect this. We expect the dazzle. We expect all the, the trappings. No, he just comes in humility and grace. They gave him gifts, but most importantly, I think if you read this, you realize in worshipping him, they gave him themselves. Listen, today it's in vogue to say, you know, I'm going to find happiness when I find myself, when I get to know myself. No. We find true joy, contentment, happiness, if you will, 
when we find Christ. When we put our whole selves at his disposal. Do you know, friend, how you know when you found Jesus? You worship. If you're struggling to worship, ask yourself, have you received him? From your inmost being, there comes a a sense of love and appreciation and joy for all that he's done for you, all that he's given you. He's forgiven your sins. He's given the grace of being in a community like this where we can celebrate his name and where we exalt his word. You, You fall down and you give him your very best. You worship him. Your spirit so craves that relationship that, that, that you will not leave empty. And boy, when you discover it, when it's real, there's joy. If you receive him and you let him reign, I believe you'll experience what this hymn writer is talking about. Joy to the world. I've noticed our culture has developed a common phrase that we share with others. You know, I know we talk about the war on Christmas as if someone who doesn't use the phrase Merry Christmas is somehow, you know, uh, against us or whatever. And, and Merry Christmas is a great greeting. There's nothing wrong with it. But I do want to caution us. When, when we think of being merry, it can miss something deeper. Mary often carries the idea of being able to check out eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the phrase that we often think of. I want you to know that joy is not about checking out and escaping reality. It is about the discovery of something significant and beautiful and good that we check into. And when, when we find him, it's good. I want to make this observation. I think it's true that there are some people who come to church who really just don't have the joy that we're talking about. And I think you know why. Mostly because Christ isn't reigning. They haven't found their place of bowing down before him. You see, I think a lot of us struggle with this. We try to live in two worlds. We've tried to be two different people. One day on Sunday and maybe another person in a different part of the week. You know, the worst thing about hypocrisy is it just wears you out. It's tiring being double-minded and double-person. I, I, I liked the way someone said, he said, you can keep one foot in two different canoes for a while, but eventually you're gonna get real uncomfortable. It's a good image. And some of us for far too long have tried to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world and as the gap between them grows, you're tired and worn out and uncomfortable. And maybe it's time to make a decision. 
And I just want to say, when you allow Christ to reign and be Lord of your life, over every facet of your being, he brings consistency, unity, and joy, no matter the circumstance. So how do we get there? Well, the fourth stanza helps us. There is joy when the sinner repents. The third stanza reads, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. We know all about sin. Sin promises happiness. It looks good. It looks like fun, but it ultimately will deliver the same thing, sorrow and death. Always does. Satan told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree, it will be good to eat and will make you wise, he said. But of course, in the end, that luscious-looking fruit brought about a horrible curse and unending sorrow. They, they felt guilty. They were alienated from God. They were escorted out of the garden and began to die. God pronounced a curse on them and their descendants. The woman would have pain in childbirth and be dominated by man. I assume that he meant that men had the remote control, uh, the control of the remote a TV, that kind of a thing. The man would find it difficult to, to work the ground. Nature would be uncooperative. And of course, who in this room can't testify how sin takes its toll? I told you about heaven. I met her earlier this week. I, I talked to another man named Clay on the phone. He had called and was looking for some guidance and help, and we were able to help him with our Care to Share fund. But, uh, and, you know, some people try to give you a sob story just to kind of butter you up, but this was not the case. As I got to speak to him, I realized he was just a man who was hurting, he, uh, a few years back, just a few years ago now, lost his father on Christmas Day, had a sudden heart attack, and then he said, my mom couldn't take it, and she committed suicide. And the family dynamic was such that two of his sisters committed suicide, too, shortly in thereafter. And so he was struggling. And, you know, my heart goes out to people who've gone through so much. This morning I woke up to... 52 texts from a young lady who was in our youth group years ago. Her husband had had an affair and she's just a mess and just trying to reach out, trying to grasp for something. This man had given his life to Christ and he said, but pastor, I need help. I, I'm trying to get things back together. Can you help me? The curse, it runs deep. But friends, there is a, a wonderful experience of joy when a sinner comes to grips with the reality of that curse and they say, I don't want it anymore. And I repent of my sin, of my responsibility in this problem. The Bible says, in fact, repent and turn to God so that, so that 
you might experience times of refreshing. Your sins might be wiped out and those times of refreshing could come from God. You see, repentance, repentance is not just being sorry for your sin. It's turning around. It's, it's saying, I want to live differently. It is a reversal, of course. And God is calling some in this room right now, you need to reverse course. You're heading in the wrong direction. This is not going to end well. But when there is a genuine repentance, I want to tell you, joy quickly follows. David prayed as he confessed his sin, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Lord, I want to be right with you again. The prodigal son, when he repented and he turned around and he went back home, you remember there was a celebration of joy held by the father. In fact, Jesus said there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous who do not need to repent. I want you to know there is joy on earth too when people change and they say, God, I need you. I've messed up. I can't do it by myself. When they say, I will not let sin and sorrow keep ground in my life. And so the mystery and beauty of Christmas is if you want to change, the good news is, is that God is still in the business of changing people. I was reading the testimony of Walt Criswell. He received Christ, but somewhere along the line, he drifted and Christ was no longer supreme in his life and he began to yield to Satan and became addicted to gambling. No one had suspected that he had developed a problem. He had it under control, at least from a, a, a point where others could sense what was happening. He was a respected coach. He was vice president of the bank. Yet sin is a curse. And so he was betting every day and of course he was losing and the, the debts began to pile up and the losses were more severe. Eventually he resorted to fudging the bank books to secure money, trying to make up for the losses that he had incurred. But of course one became more and more and more and it grew deeper and deeper. And then the annual audit began and he knew his sin was about to find him out. You know, uh, he made the decision. He thought there was only one way out, and so he, he wrote a suicide note explaining the situation to his wife. He said he was sorry. He apologized to his kids, and he drove out to the country and put a loaded pistol to his head. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. At that moment, he pleaded to God for help. And he turned around and he went back a broken man. He says the police were waiting for him as he got home. He said the most humiliating experience he'd ever had in his life was being led out of his home in handcuffs. Sin always has a way of humiliating its captives. It always does. But then he said, you know, as I walked to the police car, there was an overriding sense of relief he said to himself, thank God, I don't have to lie anymore. And the sham was over. He confessed his crime. He went to jail. He 
ended up paying his debt to society. But most importantly, in those moments, he made a vow to let Jesus Christ be Lord of his life. And when he was released from prison several years later, he became a pastor, and he was a dynamic one in Lexington, Kentucky for over 20 years. And in his retirement, he'll still tell you his life was full of joy because sin and sorrow no longer was grounded in his life. He's discovered that forgiveness and the blessings of God go far beyond where the curse is found. I want you to know you can have joy this morning because as the fourth stanza reminds us, he rules with truth and grace. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. You know, Jesus is good. The Bible says that he was full of grace and truth. He was at perfect balance. Jesus had a way of taking a man like Zacchaeus, and, and you know the story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He cheated more people than are in this room, and he cheated them wholeheartedly. But one day, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'd like to come over to your house. And Zacchaeus is amazed. Why would such a righteous, good man want to be with someone like me? But please, Jesus, come on over. Little did he know his life was about to change, but Jesus spoke truth, but he did it with such love, with such compassion, with such grace. Zacchaeus said, God's changing me. I'm going to start giving away instead of taking. God changed him, and I want you to know that God still does change people. And if you're lost in darkness, if you're lost in, 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 your, in the corruption of the darkness of your sin, God can still give you light. Some of you will remember the comic strip, Dennis the Menace. I don't even know if they play, have that anymore, but, but uh, I came across this recently and I kept it in a file and I thought, I'm gonna use that someday. But Dennis, as you remember, was a, you know, a little troublemaker, a little boy, and his friends were, he and his friend uh, were walking out of Mrs. Wilson's house with cookies in their hands. Dennis's friend wondered what they had done to deserve the cookies. And Dennis explained this. He said, Mrs. Wilson doesn't give us cookies because we are nice. We get cookies because Mrs. Wilson is nice. And, you know, that's such a story of grace. We don't get heaven and joy and life because we're good. We get heaven and joy and life because Jesus is good. He's full of grace and truth. We don't have, if, if, we, if we put our trust in him and our hope in him, yes, we, there are ways we mess up, but I don't have to worry about heaven. I don't have to worry about what's ahead. I'm in his hands. And no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, I'm his, and it's good. And so this Christmas, Jesus offers the same invitation he's been offering since he came. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, anyone, and 
opens the door. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We'll have a relationship. Nothing better. We can have joy, real joy, not because we are always good, but because God is good, very good, all the time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is a joy for me to share this good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. I pray, Lord, we would have the wisdom this morning to receive it. If there is someone here today that needs to, to open their heart to you, I pray that you would help them prepare that room and they would receive you with all joy. And they would say yes to your gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life, the joy of knowing you. Lord, help us to be real this morning, not to be content living in two worlds with one foot here and one foot there, but wholeheartedly, Lord, may we let you reign as our Lord and Savior. I ask this in your name. Amen.